0: politics is many things. We are a weekly panel discussion program here on Trent Radio. We're all about everything political with a focus on life in Peterborough and in Ontario. Since March, we've been gathering here online for these discussions. The discussion to which you're about to listen was recorded on Wednesday, September 30th. So joining me for this online discussion are two members of our politics panel. Of course, you know them. First of all, there's Curve Lake First Nations Councillor and Ontario NDP Indigenous Peoples Committee Chair, Sean Conway. And then campaign manager and consultant, Lauren Hunter. So thanks for joining me this evening online. Of course, today is September 30th, and this is Orange Shirt Day, which calls upon us to uh, reflect on the Indigenous children who were sent away to residential schools in Canada and uh, learn more about their history and what happened. So... It looks like we're not going to have an election. The NDP voted with the government last night, as did all the other parties. Is that right? So no fall election. So what were the dynamics at play behind this vote in support of the throne speech? Well, let me just let me jump right in there, uh, Bill. This is Sean here. I, I,
1: I want to reflect on something that's happening in, in conservative circles and social media. You know, Theo Madukas putting out his political cartoons. The first one today was, you know, one panel is, uh, oh, you know, you've been on the liberals for a week. And the next one, oh, you've been on the Tories for a week. Third panel, oh, you got to do something about the NDP. Holds up a blank page in the fourth panel saying the NDP's relevance. It was a blank page, which couldn't be anything further from the truth. Uh, yes. To be, to, be, to be completely honest and, and truthful about the proceedings of the last couple of days. Only the NDP has proposed any sort of substantial amendments that would actually help Canadians. The Conservative Party didn't do anything. The Green Party did nothing. The Bloc Quebecois did nothing. So it's completely, you know, it's 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 foolish.
0: No, I hear you certainly. That uh, a meme on Twitter saying dissing dissing the NDP, like the absence of uh, Jack Meet Singh, and it, it seems so so wacko because the NDP really drove some of what we saw in terms of the serp benefits. No. I mean. Well, yeah, if you
1: if you go back to the beginning of the pandemic and some of the measures that the federal government was introducing and much needed, you know, uh, supports economically for working people in Canada, the liberals were quick to jump to put something together. The NDP found where the holes were and demanded that the holes be filled and things were able to happen the last couple of months. The conservatives didn't do anything. Neither did the Green Party, neither did the Bloc
0: Québécois,
1: We've spent two people showing up. Uh, you know, two political parties showing up for working people, and uh, and that's just the facts.
0: And if we keep our eye on the poll, is is not the purpose of Parliament to produce good legislation and that's
2: what we got. Absolutely it is. This is Lauren here Um, and I think in a minority parliament we would hope to see political parties working together to pass legislation that's important for Canadians and I will give kudos to the NDP coming forward with substantive concrete solutions and suggestions as Sean said to plug the holes or to to raise things up. um, Honestly that Probably gave the liberals the ability to do what they'd hoped to do in the first place, but maybe had been feeling pressure from other groups, you know, not to keep the the recovery benefits as high as the CERB had been and whatnot. So I'm I'm very happy with where things have landed. And, you know, I think Sean was pointing out that uh, the Conservatives and the Greens and the Bloc, you know, didn't really seem to bring anything to the table. And, you know, not only that, there were procedural shenanigans in the House of Commons yesterday, where the Conservatives and the Bloc tried their darndest to stall the passage of that legislation through the House, throwing up some different procedural tactics and it didn't in the end work and i think they were smart in the end to actually vote for that legislation so the government decided that it would be a confidence vote and that would actually be their sort of first test rather than any vote directly on the speech from the throne. And I think had the Conservatives or the block voted against it, uh, they would have been opening themselves up to the criticism later from the Liberals and the NDP that they weren't looking out for Canadians' best interests or that they wanted to abandon them. And we did already see um, Minister Freeland lob that back at uh, Pierre Poliver quite effectively earlier this week in the House. So I think whoever, you know, the strategists, behind the scenes there were smart to, to coalesce around this bill and make sure it gets through. And uh, it's off to the Senate as soon as possible, I believe. Wonderful.
0: Now, have the liberals, uh, well, obviously they've dodged the election bullet, but How long, for how long? I mean, Ken Dryden said famously of uh, beating the Soviets, uh, Sean, I know this is about hockey, I'm sorry, I apologize, but that uh, beating the Soviets was like being shot at and missed. I mean, could we apply the same to uh, this whole confidence vote and their support in Parliament?
2: I mean, it's a minority government, so um, theoretically, could fall at any time Um, and so I think you know this is the dynamics of a minority is that sort of legislation uh, by legislation vote by vote there's always a risk that the government could fall that said I did see Jignit Singh in I think it was uh, an, an interview with the Huffington Post saying that perhaps the NDP if there was enough common ground and there were things that could be worked on together that the NDP might be happy to let the Liberals lead government for another three years which uh, I found very surprising and the suggestion and you know, that comes with a lot of caveats and really can we still find common ground? Are there things we can do together? But I appreciate that he's signaling that there's a willingness to at least have those conversations. uh, If the two parties can come to agreement on pieces of legislation that will support Canadians.
1: Sure. Yeah, And I think maybe just to add to that, uh, Lauren, we're, we're definitely going to be looking forward to the fall fiscal update from the the federal finance minister, who I don't know who it is anymore. Is it Carla Quattro now?
2: It's the it's the minister for everything. It's Christian Fielen.
1: Oh, that's right. Trust? Yes, minister Trust. for everything. The the real prime minister. Uh, yeah, I think I think there's a couple of things, you know, things signaled in the throne speech. That uh, that'll be definitely be uh something that the NDP is going to wanna going to wanna look at i think uh a national childcare uh initiative is definitely going to be one of those big pieces over the next couple of months speaking with NDP partisans uh, across canada the last couple of weeks the big pieces are of course uh peter julian's motion to establish a wealth tax uh mm-hmm, to help okay. pay for for some of these big programs and as well as cut down the deficit that uh the federal government has in which i think is good policy and again is widely supported by the vast majority of Canadians. I think another really popular piece right now would be Lee Gazan's uh, Motion 46 to establish a national uh, basic income program in Canada. Right. Uh, something yes. like a, an historic, at least 500,000 signatures on that uh, petition now, not to mention the, the work of all the not-for-profits that have been pushing for a uh, Uh, A guaranteed income for for years now. So I think those are some of the big pieces that the NDP is going to be looking for. And I think those are some of the pieces that if if the Liberal government wants to stand, those are the sorts of demands the NDP will be looking for over the next couple of months.
0: Now, correct me on my numbers, but the NDP has about 25 members of Parliament. The Conservative Party has 120 odd why are we not seeing the conservative party sort of dragging the liberals to the right instead we're seeing the NDP drag the liberals to the left and I, I realize talking about left-right is a limited uh, sort of paradigm and we should be talking about good legislation regardless of left-right but I uh, it just struck me is um, the ndp is is wielding its weight effectively we're getting decent legislation but why isn't it going the other way why aren't the conservatives able to pull the national discussion in their direction.
2: I mean, I, I think it is a numbers game in some way. Um, the minority liberal government can survive with just the support of the NDP. That is enough. They don't need to pull numbers from the other parties at this moment in time. Um, but I think as well, the Conservatives are the official opposition. And, you know, there is it's a true, role true, to yes. play in our parliamentary tradition for a strong opposition that ideally, yes, comes forward with solutions, but presents a principled polar opposite perspective from the government in power. And so it probably would not behoove the Conservatives to um, be cooperating necessarily or finding common ground with the liberals because they really want to present themselves as the government in waiting, as this is the alternative, uh, right. and not be caught up, especially later, getting accused by some of the folks in their own party of, of uh, watering down their message or what they are doing <laughs> in the parliament.
0: But, yeah, I,
1: I think we're already seeing that in conservative circles and, and what I'm seeing from from media with the conservatives really just kind of ab- ab- obsessively opposing anything that happens in the legislature. They're not proposing anything. They haven't been proposing anything since the last election. You know, Andrew Scheer was a lame duck from October onwards. And Aaron O'Toole's first speech as leader was just today. I think they have a lot of I you know branding to deal with. I think they have they have to look at what what the Conservative Party is going to be going forward. Um, how it's different than Harper, how it's different than Andrew Scheer, how Aaron O'Toole is different than Peter McKay. They're going to be doing that work, and, and they're going to be focused on that because they want to try and win an election, but in the process of doing so, they're going to completely let down most working Canadians. Right.
0: Now, there's lots more to say about this dynamic at work in Parliament, but I wanted to to just touch on and I don't know if just touch is the right phrase because it's a huge topic but our national medical officer of health uh, Teresa, uh, Dr. Tam and five of her colleagues um there there was a news item I think it was on it could have been on Twitter it might have been on Facebook to say that six of them have received death threats over their admonitions Around restrictions to prevent uh, the second wave, which is of course alive and with us now, certainly in Ontario and Quebec. What do we make of that? Death threats in, I mean, to federal ministers in Canada? I, it, well, it's not
1: new. Look what happened to Catherine McKenna in Ottawa just a few months ago. There, even Jean Chrétien back in the '90s. You know, it's not it's not new. But in the age of social media and you know reactionary behaviors by political parties and bad faith actors within the country, they're going to be stoking that that kind of personal and and really brutal messages of violence towards individuals just because of the job they have.
2: And I think, you know, there is a lot of there's a lot of frustration in in the country right now. I think people are um, out of work, um, have seen their Um, home situations perhaps deteriorate. And uh, I can appreciate that there is some frustration and some anger. And, you know, as humans, I think we want someone to blame. It is a lot easier to channel your anger at a human who you see on the television every day or every other day, you know, being the face of the pandemic, perhaps for you. It's a lot easier to channel your anger at them than at this virus that you can't see and you know can't can't really grab onto the same way um and i think it speaks to some of the toxicity of social media and frankly the you know and sean mentioned it but like the wink wink nudge nudge of certain political parties and i'll say the conservative party of canada to the more right-wing extremist groups out there uh you know and pointing people to read the post-millennial and to to look at rebel news as accurate news sources. And, you know, they may produce some uh, legitimate news, but it's just, Uh, sort of a swath of fake news and uh, outrage clicks, as we've talked about before. Um, And so in some ways, it's no wonder that we've gotten to this point uh, where that frustration is bubbling out into violent threats, never mind the fact that there is a a camp of extremists right now um, on the grounds of the war memorial in Ottawa downtown. And these folks and, and a few of them in particular, and I'm sure you've seen it pop up, have been wandering around downtown Ottawa, trying to conduct citizen arrests on on the Prime Minister, on ministers. There was a video, a disturbing video the other day of um, someone verbally assaulting Jagmeet Singh as he walked down the street. And you know, if if you haven't been to Ottawa that all that much and you haven't hung out sort of above the Queensway in the parliamentary precinct you know, I think it would be really unusual. You came from another country and came into Canada where uh, people can hang out on the lawn of Parliament Hill. You know, there are yoga classes that happen on the hill, parliamentarians, ministers, the prime minister, people walk around in downtown Ottawa without security details. And it's almost got like a university campus feel sometimes and that all these buildings are connected. And so people feel very safe. And I think that this behaviour has got to be really shaking up some of that norm. And I hope, Causing uh, the Parliamentary Protective Service and the RCMP to really think long and hard about how they protect members of Parliament and public figures like our health officials.
0: Yeah, when I read these uh, about these death threats towards these uh, provincial and federal medical officers of health, it's they happen to be six six women. I thought great at a time when certainly Canada needs to encourage more women to more women to get into politics to run for office i understand this is a this is important for for many reasons this comes precisely at the wrong at the wrong moment and particularly in a covid context when as we discussed on other programs the eight of the countries that have done best with the pandemic have female leaders and. Why is this? So there's a theme there that, of course, we don't have time to to explore, but it, it is concerning.
2: All right. Uh, Tagging quickly, I'll say um, as someone who actively tries to encourage women to run office, it makes my job a lot harder because yes. how can I go speak to a prospective candidate for office? and tell her you know and and encourage her and tell her we'll be there to support her when on the same page she's watching this happen and seeing the death threats and the violence that's being expressed on social media I mean it is getting harder every day to convince women to get into politics and as you say Bill at precisely the time when I think we need to see better representation in politics. Yes,
0: so now that we're secure uh, we're not going to have an election at least for the next couple of weeks what What are the next ships that are going to come down the canal in parliament that are that are going to be issues we need to keep on top of? I think
1: right now um now that we can we can safely say that we're probably going to have a fall election, I think that individual activists across Canada are now going to be starting to focus on some of the uh, provincial races that are happening. Right. We've got British Columbia, Saskatchewan, followed then by uh, Manitoba, Alberta, and Ontario. All, all coming up very quickly. British Columbia is looking good for Team Orange. Rachel Nodley is polling as good as she was when she was, before she was Premier now uh, in Alberta,
0: um, really and, i didn't know that now the ucp is uh in well
1: the ucp in alberta is driving family physicians doctors and nurses to leave on mass from alberta <laughs> hundreds <laughs> and hundreds of doctors and medical professionals because of cuts to health care within alberta they're leaving right. and they're going to british columbia they're going to saskatchewan manitoba ontario and it's It's a really horrible situation for people that need family care in Alberta and only the NDP is the party talking about uh, strengthening health care in the province where the UCD seems to be deliberately destroying it. Um, It makes Rachel Notley a a very popular person in the province again.
2: Provincial
0: politics, go ahead. Well, I was just going to ask... uh, Because we're on Alberta, this new railway that uh, uh, Mr. Trump, south of the border, is touting about the uh, Alberta-Alaska railway. I cannot understand for the life of me, uh, and I, I'm not a scholar of the the oil industry, but why Jason Kenney is, and we've talked about this a bit before, why he continues to tout this as salvation when the business case against the the tar science development seems to be, never mind uh, penny investors like me, the, the large international players are swinging away from it with investment dollars. They're keeping away. So. Why why does this keep coming up for Kenny? Other than, as Sean, as you said the last time, it's good politics. That's yeah. it.
2: Ideologically, you know, touted himself to be the savior of the oil and gas industry in Alberta. And it's hard for him to walk away from that branding that he has created for himself. And he is a very ideologically driven politician. Um, and so whether it makes sense or not, um, I think it, it, it's
0: <laughs> after the fact. <laughs>
1: yeah I think maybe maybe folks in Alberta are realizing that, that Jason Kenney's, you know political pedigree was really just as a backbencher for stephen Harper and and he really did nothing of of subsistence when he was in federal cabinet
2: okay. wasn't, he about, wasn't he the minister of he was multiculturalism at one point? and I just as an aside, you know the other day he sort of criticized intersectional feminism as being a kooky academic theory and i you know, I just thought, where was the minister of multiculturalism? Why we needed him? He's hung gone, obviously.
1: Well, remember, he was a he was a hardcore uh, evangelical reformer back in the '90s, and definitely came from come from that that background. Why anyone, you know, Stephen Harper or otherwise, would make him the minister of multiculturalism is beyond me. I right. like having Dean Del Mastro as the ethics critic.
0: Ooh. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> in Peterborough feels wounded, yes, but God, yes. All right. Well, let's. Uh, we've uh, mentioned that uh, some provincial elections are coming up. Let's continue our march across uh, the country. What else is is coming up in that regard?
1: Saskatchewan. wins. Saskatchewan is coming up uh, in two days after uh, British Columbia. It is the first time that uh, the British Columbia and Saskatchewan election have been this close together since 1991. They are only two days okay. apart. Uh, we've got a we've got two. Uh, political parties, the NDP and the Saskatchewan Party, which is basically like a reform conservative alliance, the NDP, which are the old uh, social democrats that uh, of Tommy Douglas run by Ryan Miley rhymes with smiley, who's a family doctor who continued practicing through COVID to to do what he can to help the community. It's a really competitive election. Uh, I think it could go either way. Things are looking good. They Their writ dropped yesterday at 11, I believe. So it's definitely one to watch to see to see two new party leaders go at it and clean uh, slate. So it's definitely one I'm watching.
0: Right.
2: And uh, Lauren? And I'll, I'll use a little bit of that to tie back into um, your question before, which was what should we keep our eye on federally? And so some of the commitments in the throne speech, you know, really do uh, involve provincial jurisdiction. And so if you just look at the number of elections that are happening, of the number of uh, less uh, liberally inclined premiers we have right now, I think it shows you just how much of a challenge the Trudeau government is going to have to move on some of those big pieces like childcare and pharmacare that are gonna need agreement uh, with the provinces to move forward.
0: Well, Lauren, I I shouldn't single you out for the question, uh, so to both of you but how much of the classic Ontario dynamic is really a problem with all provinces in other words you vote one way provincially and you vote another way federally now Ontario was a classic if you have a conservative Ontario government you're gonna have a liberal federal government vice versa how much of that is really a national disease so if,
1: you, if you look if you look at some of the provinces namely British Columbia Alberta Saskatchewan and Manitoba there's Practically no Liberal Party presence provincially. Yes. So it's really conservative and NDP from uh, Thunder Bay on. And with that, you know, you've got two really big tent parties.
0: Right.
1: You've got Social Democrats. You've got, you know, classic liberals, socialists, communists. You never know. Who's NDP. <laughs> right. And then you've got your, you know, red Tories. You've got... You know, centrists, liberals, uh, center right people, progressive conservatives, reformers, PPC people backing up these conservative parties across Western provinces. So it's a really interesting dynamic, which we don't really get in Ontario where it's generally a three horse race.
0: Right. Yes. I mean, you're reminding me of Warren Kinsella branding his outsider status with the phrase, I'm an Alberta liberal. Which is Doug Ford. Right. BC. Hey,
1: looks like John Horgan's going to get a majority. It's a bit cynical to run an election, but, you know, I'd say go for it if you're going to go for it. He really does need that backing. It does not seem like the the agreement that the Greens had with confidence and supply was going to hold anymore, specifically with Andrew Weaver stepping down, the, the former leader of the Green Party, who's now since endorsed the NDP and uh, the current leader not being as friendly to the NDP and perhaps even siding with the BC Liberals to bring down that government. It really looks like John Horgan is going to do really well and I wish him all the best. I think it's going to be uh, the right move for British Columbia. Maybe not the best time for an election, but I think they can pull it off and they can pull it off safely. So all the all better for him.
2: That's an interesting question, and I, I think Sylvia sort of mentioned it when we were talking about the specter of the federal election that, you know, a, a government that uh, anybody that's responsible for an election during a pandemic is going to get punished at the polls. And it just I mean, we usually don't see that sort of thing, whether it's in a pandemic or not, that, you know, if it's a poorly timed election by the time voting day comes around, people don't really use that as their ballot box question. This might be the exception. Um, And if that's the case, um, perhaps uh, Premier Horgan might wanna land on why the reason was to call for an election in a pandemic. I know that reasoning's changed a few times, but I think (laughs) provincial elections are instructive to see if that is the case. Um, If anyone Mm -hmm. will be punished for calling an election during a pandemic, my sense Mm -hmm. is that probably not.
1: Well, we even sure. look to uh, New Brunswick just a couple of days ago. Blaine Higgs, minority, progressive, conservative government, they got their majority. And Kevin Vickers, the Liberal leader, lost his seat. Right. You know, it's, you know I don't know. I think, I think really it comes down to the region. Um, I think right now there would be a bit of a difference with British Columbia, say, against uh, Ontario, where Ontario is, is – right in the grips of a second wave. British Columbia really and Bonnie Henry has been doing a pretty good job at keeping Mm -hmm. everything under control. You know, are there things they could do? Absolutely. You know, I think anybody looking at any pandemic response is going to find holes in it and it's up to a good legislative assembly that is backed up by a fresh election to decide what happens.
0: Right. Now you mentioned Ontario. Let's let's, because here we are, What's the current dynamic? My read was, at least initially, at the beginning March, April, May, Doug Ford was uh, sort of being showered in rose petals because uh, uh, he said the right things, he started speaking as opposed to deferring always to his ministers, and his star was rising. Where is it now? One
1: in 14 schools. One in 14 schools in Ontario have COVID-19 outbreaks. Ooh. In the GTA, it's one in seven. Oh. Education response is okay. terrible. Right. And, uh, you know, even just look at fundraising numbers right now. Uh, the Ontario NDP in this quarter raised something like $2.2 million, and Doug Ford's Progressive Conservative Party is in the
0: hole by $1.8 million. Oh, that's news. Lauren, you're you, sorry, you're trying to get in.
2: okay. I think at the beginning, you know, I think in some ways the bar was set so low for Doug Ford uh, that when he was able to walk and chew gum at the same time, you know, he got that reaction. And I think people wanted to know that there was a government in charge, and there was a lot of fear in the early days uh, that drove a lot of that. But I just I have to think the shine is going to be coming off in a real way this fall. Sean talked about the schools, absolutely. I'm pretty concerned about what's going to happen in the long-term care sector. I don't actually think that anything has been done since we got out of the first wave. You know, what have ministers and what has Ford been doing this entire time? You know, he just announced the other day that they're going to be hiring more workers for long-term care facilities. Where was that announcement in July or in August or, you know, even at the beginning of this month and not now? And he only just today released their um second wave strategy. I mean, we're in the second wave. It's oh, yes. now it it yeah. doesn't do us a whole heck of a lot of good to be again reacting in the moment when Everybody saw this coming. Absolutely, health advisors telling him that this was what was going to happen. This is the conversation around the world. We have other countries that went through a second wave before we did. There is no excuse, and I hope that Ontarians are ready to hold him accountable.
0: Yes, indeed. His so where where do the parties stand in Ontario? How now the Liberal the Ontario Liberal Party has a new leader. I don't know where they are in the polls. Uh, the Conservatives are, uh, Ford Nation uh, are, as we've just discussed, is Andrea Horvath and her NDP, are they rising? Are they becoming, Is are these getting to be better days for them? I mean, certainly on the fundraising side, it sounded like that.
1: Well, yeah, I'll go into some of the numbers, too. If you put the progressive conservative, conservative party of Ontario, the Liberal Party, the Green Party, any other party you want to put in, the Ontario NDP has more individual donors across Ontario than all Ontario political parties combined. We're doing really good work in the legislature right now. I think uh, that Ontarians are really seeing um, people like Marat Styles really stand up for for parents and students and for teachers. And I think that's that's really clear. If you look at the opposites on the on the critic portfolios, you have Stephen Lecce, who is a private school jock who worked with Stephen Harper as a press secretary versus uh-huh. Mark Stiles, who was a trustee for years and knows how the schools work. Um, I think I think the question is, is really not so much where do the party stand, because right now I think we're in the middle of a pandemic and everything is crazy. Uh, but right now, right. anything could happen. Fixed election dates in Ontario. I don't see the government being dissolved. Uh, okay. I think the Conservative Party is nominating their candidates now. That's fine. The NDP is probably going to start announcing candidates in the next couple of weeks. The Liberal Party, I don't know what they're doing. Maybe Lauren can fill us in there. But, uh, <laughs> um, really, I, I think it's anybody's game. Uh, in Ontario, but uh, I think Ontarians have been impressed by what the Ontario NDP has been doing, and they've been doing a great job in holding the government accountable.
0: Well, and that's a good note to end on. Thank you so much. Thank you uh, Sean and Lauren for joining me this evening. This is Bill Templeman.